What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, the Sabres are 1-1 one one to start the season after a season-opening win over Ottawa, followed by a 4-3 to loss against the Panthers. And today, we are going to talk about both of those games. So as I had mentioned before, the Sabres had won 4-1 to over Ottawa with goals from J.J. Paterka, his first in his NHL career, Rasmus Stalin, and two empty netters from Victor Olofsson. Craig Anderson made 35 saves in the win, and thus far, Rasmus Stalin has three points through two games to lead the Buffalo Sabres. So let's talk about Ottawa first, though, as we had said before, a very interesting game. Uh, I think one of the main observations that I had is that there are some guys who stood out surprisingly well and some guys who stood out in the worst possible way. And by the worst possible way, I am, of course, talking about none other than this podcast's favorite defenseman, Henry Yoki. How are you? <laughs> so is it in uh, would you say he's been the, the worst, I guess, the opposite of a bright spot? Yes, Yoki Haru, it it has been glaring. He had uh, a nice assist on Tuck's goal in the Florida game, but otherwise I was was at both games and he was just noticeably bad. There was just so many giveaways and turnovers, misplays in his own zone. Time and time again, anytime he was on the ice, you could just rely on something, him to do something stupid, and he did. I, I just thought it was a really, really rough two games. And it's not even a matter of trying to pile on a guy like early on in the season. It just, he looked considerably worse than every other defenseman on the team, I thought, through through these first two games. Power, I thought, in the Ottawa game and his first few shifts definitely had a little bit of a rough start with just kind of, again, it's the start of the season. You got to get cut up to speed a little bit. But I thought that he looked better as the game went on as he only has, you know, coming into this year, eight, eight, eight games of experience in the NHL. Samuelson, I thought, looked generally pretty solid. And also among the defense, too, I got to say, this team has sorely been missing a guy like Labushkin on its blue line. They, they, I, I think they kind of need a forward equivalent of him as well. Somebody who can contribute, of course, at like what they're good at. And for him, obviously, it's just, you know, just in the defensive zone, he's rock solid. But man, the physicality and bite that he brings we were billed that when we signed him and God, he lives up to it. Like he was constantly getting chippy. He was active with his physicality. He was good at just getting the puck out of his zone and just holding it down. And one other thing I will say too, that I noticed they were the, of the uh, defensive combinations on the penalty kill. I think that penalty kill one D pairing should be Labushkin and Samuelson by the way, too. But I, I was just a big fan. I, I was a big fan of Labushkin. Obviously, we know he's not going to contribute much on the offensive side, but for the physicality and just consistent defensive game that he brings, I was I was very happy with what we've seen from him so far. But yeah, Yoki Haru, I think, has has stood out as the worst among the defensive group for sure. Yeah, so let's talk about a, a bright spot. Let's uh, do that. On the defensive group. I really like how Dowling's looked. It looks like uh, through two games, he's not having the slow start that he's had for the past few years. looks like he's picked up where he left off in the second half of last season, where he's been good in his own zone. But what he's really thrived at is starting the breakout, getting the puck out. Sometimes that's him making the right pass, and sometimes it's him skating. With the puck on his stick, he looks pretty dangerous, which is good. And he's been contributing offensively as well. But even more than that, you're starting to see the feistiness too. You started to see that last year, but he... The first game, this was actually just kind of funny. He gave a like little ice bath, would you call it? A little spray to guy, a little shower to uh who was that actually? 
was it Norris? Mm, doesn't matter. I think it was, it was Norris. Yeah. Stopped right in front of him, sprayed him. He was not happy about that. And then you saw, and this isn't the stuff that matters the most, but it is, it's good to have a well-rounded game and uh, to, to show that you're not going to be pushed around. But at the end of the Florida game, this a guy I'm really not looking forward to having in the division for a few years is Matthew Kachuk. Totally super dirty player. Uh, so I already hate him. It took one game and I was just like, screw this guy. He sucks. But he totally also unnecessarily, instead of doing something fun and whimsical, just cross-checked Dylan Cousins in the head at the end of the game. God knows why. And Dowling went after him. It seemed like it was actually trying to fight him. And I think for the first yeah. time since he's been a Sabre, I was like, I think Dowling could win this fight. He looks definitely bigger and stronger too. So really happy. To me, he's the number one bright spot on the team right now. I would definitely agree with that. And I also, well, we even talked about the end of last year, the increase in physicality in his game. I mean, I think a lot of the stuff we're talking about is some of the, the after the whistle stuff. And I love that he was going at, at Kachuk and that he, you know, the, as people were putting it, like the gamesmanship of uh, gamesmanship of, of spraying Norris in the face like that. Um, And I, and I think it just goes back to the general confidence that we've seen in his game that it really extends from post all-star break of last season, where it felt like coming out of that, he really, really came into his own because he, he's been so good as of late and, and, and down the stretch last year to the start of this year that I feel like a lot of times, you know, we forget the fact that he had a pretty rough start to the season last year, just as he was unlearning a lot of the, whatever you want to call it traits, I guess that Kruger was trying to instill in him. And it, it just feels as though, which it, it makes sense too, when you have a guy of, you know, his just pure raw talent level that as the confidence goes up, the rest of the game goes up with it. And he's willing to get a little bit more chippy and a little bit more physical. I think him having an A on his Jersey also contributes to that too, where it's like, this isn't by circumstance now. Like you are a leader of this team. Like you are going to be relied upon to be a leader of this team. And to see that he's trying to make his presence known and for like all three phases of the game. And then also with, with the rough stuff between the whistles too. I mean, that's great. Like I love seeing that from him. And again, I think it extends further from our conversation from last episode that we had with Anthony that, it really feels like it's trending towards him being this team's MVP this year with just how he's looked already out of the gate. Yeah, it does seem that way. He, I, and that him having a letter, that's, that's big too. It, it seems like in a lot of ways, things are coming together for him, which is uh, impressive. So also, I guess just zooming out a, a bit and looking at the entire picture, I honestly, I don't think we learned too much from these first two games. No, uh, they well, played I one thing we learned. Oh, but I'll let you go first. Oh, okay. So uh, the game against Ottawa, it's kind of like that felt like a coin toss. And it just so happened that Anderson was really on his game in that one. And then you get the two late goals from Olofsson and the, the best goal song on the team. Good for him. Thank you. Thank you, Victor. Hopefully the best. Scored. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think it's just a great vibe song when you score. I agree. But anyway, uh, so that's that was just kind of like, oh, I mean, they're pretty even with Ottawa and they happen to win this one. And then Florida is better than you. So yeah. that's what I learned from that game. <laughs> but, and they also looked pretty good against Florida though. They like, yeah, Florida definitely outplayed them, but they were in it the whole game. They were in it right to the end and surprised me how good Florida was at uh, basically shutting things down when it was like, oh, we're done scoring. You're just not going to score on us. And the Sabres really had trouble getting it through the neutral zone at that point. That looked like Florida was really good at that. I was, I was not expecting them to be so competent in that regard. 
Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And I also will say too, with as good as Florida was, even though it was a four to three loss, I was also pretty happy with how Comrie looked too. He looked really strong out of the gate for them. I felt like, and he just seemed like he was really composed throughout the game. I mean, obviously, as we know, Florida is going to be one of the best teams in the league this year. And I think it was a very good early sign um, from Comrie there that he was able to, to just play so competently, you know, in his first matchup against again, which is maybe the best team in the vision, maybe the best team in the conference, even potentially too. So good to see from him and Anderson too. He had 35 saves in that opener. And admittedly uh, early in the game, I was getting a little worried and was questioning a bit why you wouldn't start Comrie in the opener, but I thought he was able to uh, hold it down for them pretty, pretty solidly overall. Um, So I have, unfortunately though, not to keep, you know, this, back and forth in terms of good and bad that we saw, but I have a, a couple of not so good observations that I made in addition to the Yoki Haru thing that I kind of want to talk about and get your thoughts on if that's cool. Yep. First of all, the power play is bad. They, I think yeah. need to rethink some of the personnel decisions there. I tweeted it out during the game yesterday, but I really think that they need to have, Quinn and Paterka on each of the units. And we can get to a bright spot after, which is a huge bright spot that we do need to talk about is JJ Paterka. But I think on the first unit, I think Skinner needs to come off and I think you need to put Quinn there. Um, And then from that point, you put Quinn on one of the walls. If you're insistent on keeping middle stat, which this ties into my second point is we need to really lower Casey middle stats role among the forward groups here. Like I get that you're trying to put him in situations to succeed and get the most out of him, but it also gets to a point where it's like, is this guy deserving of these opportunities and could they be go- be better served going elsewhere? Um, but regardless of that, I think if you wanted to keep Middlestead on the first unit for whatever reason, you could then move him into the middle spot where Skinner is. And then you have Tage and Quinn on your flanks and then obviously you have Darlene quarterbacking that. But I just think that Jack Quinn's skill set is so well suited for the power play in general, but especially too for the fact that there is a glaring hole on that first unit for the Sabres and that Skinner has really just never been uh, a solid power play guy. I think if you wanted to maybe move him to the second unit and then you bump a Pozo off and then you bring in Paterka, that's something that I would be interested in. If you want to, again, just have him out there just to have a proven goal scorer out there. But I don't think he, he necessarily belongs on the first unit. And honestly, I'll also say too, I think maybe then again, as we're talking about, you know, taking off a little bit of middle stats role there, I wouldn't even be opposed to seeing cousins get switched onto the first unit with middle stat to uh, for middle stat, because I will also say I've been pretty happy with how Dylan cousins has looked in these first two games as well. He looks engaged and active and even though he hasn't necessarily, I mean, he had a great assist on Paterka's first goal, of course, on that nice rush there. Um, but I, I've been very happy with how he's looked so far. And again, I think that that's a, an example of what I'm saying is like, let's reward guys as we're going along here who really deserve to be in these roles. And Cousins for me is somebody that I absolutely think is uh, is definitely worthy of that. But let's talk about the power play, though. I mean, what are your thoughts? Do you think also that that's a, a pretty legitimate issue there that they need to maybe reimagine or rethink? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it does not look good at all. Uh, and they have the personnel. Like if this was last year, I'd say oh, whatever, or like three years ago, sometimes that happens. Like you just, you don't have good personnel and they do. 
So mm-hmm. I, I don't understand. Yeah, some of it. I, I don't know. I kind of agree with you. I don't. I don't know if Skinner's really a power play guy. I mean, but and that's also the thing too is that I feel like they don't use him and like to suit his skill sets necessarily. Like, if you're gonna use him, like he should. Even though he's a smaller guy, like I feel like Skinner's somebody then who I'd want in front of the net, not playing in the like high slot role. It just doesn't feel like that. That makes sense for. For him, you know, I, I guess I could see like middle set there conceivably, but like Skinner, I feel like his bread and butter is being able to get gritty goals that kind of happen in front of the net, whether it's from rebounds or just general chaos in front of the net there. And he's a good finisher in that spot. And so it just, but again, even in, in, in spite of that, it doesn't just feel like he's really a power play guy. Like let's put him in positions to succeed at five on five you know if if he can contribute there and be one of our go-to guys there then i'm not worried about trying to force him getting opportunities or points on the power play as well when it's not as well suited to his skills yeah no i i agree with that definitely and i also agree with seeing quinn more on the power play like it's a guy that scored a significant amount in the ahl last year right. so give him a chance to succeed and get his confidence up and I, and I will, and I'll say on that too, I mean, again, it's two games in, so obviously it's not by any means anything that uh, is anything to worry about because for a lot of this, I mean, again, it's like consider where guys were at the start of last year and how they ended up finishing. And a lot of times it's just, again, getting into, and especially for younger guys where you're, you're getting up to speed at the NHL level. I mean, this is, he only has what, four NHL games under his belt now. Um, yeah. So it's going to take some time there, but you know, I I think you can definitely see some of the uh, adjusting pains there a little bit. I I didn't particularly love his game in these first two games, but again, I would have liked to see him maybe get some time on the power play and get some looks there so that you can, you know, maybe that's what it takes is just getting him opportunities there to get some points or, or pucks on net. And then all of the other acclimation is going to start to come too. but his fellow rookie forward, JJ Paterka, bright spot, big time. I thought in both games, he has looked so solid. Just especially, I, I was, I think one of the things that really impressed me about him in the Ottawa game, it was particularly noticeable, is how great he is on the wall in puck battles. Like for him not being a very big guy, he's able to use his shiftiness and his just general smarts to just win these battles against guys like bigger defensemen against them on the board. It happened multiple times in the Ottawa game. And even a couple of times, I feel like I noticed it against Florida, but Ottawa, it was like standout where it it would not be an easy matchup and he would still be able to come away with the puck or he'd be able to make the appropriate pass back to the point after winning said battle. Um, of, Of course he had his first goal, which was great you know, a great rush with him and cousins there. And it just feels like he's very active in the offensive zone with a guy like that. And also just too, as we talked about with Anthony last week, his defensive game, like that's going to have to come along in time, but like he has not been a liability out there. And I think something that especially speaks to it is one of the lines that I actually kind of like that Granado tried for a little bit in the second period yesterday that they were keeping their head above water and generating some chances was you had, Quinn and Krebs or uh, Quinn and Paterka centered by Krebs. And again, I think that's a testament to, to what Granado thinks of Paterka this early on that he was going to, that he put that combination together once he reunited the top line at initially in, uh, in the second period there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think Paterka, like his start, uh, it's kind of like, Oh, 
you guys are going to bring back Henestrosa and Riley Shayan because you're not confident in me being able to make the NHL roster. All right, like watch this. And he's been awesome through these two games. His, his goal in the Ottawa game was like fantastic. Like kind of like the uh, hat on a swivel, like, like his, his brain is working as fast as his hands kind of goal that you see from a star player. Uh, and he, like you said, like he's been really aggressive on the, on the wall and like winning battles. It's, it's super encouraging. I think everything we've seen from him so far is, is fantastic. Like he was uh, probably out of the, the rookies on the team. He was the, the third guy people are most excited about, but he's definitely had the, the best first two games. And I, I also yeah. think it's, it's, you know, it's worth noting that like he's gotten significantly better every year since he got drafted. He was yep. a what mid second round pick. Yes. And early second, early second round pick. And he, within a year, was a guy that people were like, oh, he could make the roster. And now he's here and he looks good. It's, it's really encouraging. Very much so. I think it gives them, again, like I think one of the things that we've been talking about is just the depth among this forward group, the potential depth, I should say, and the flexibility it gives them for having a guy like that. And so it, it, I guess then leads me to, you know, Paterka looks like he's, he's really fitting here, but I do want to get back to this middle stack conversation because we could talk about, you know, maybe placing less of an emphasis on him and, and his role, but I think the question that I'm at least asking, and I'm somebody too, I will say that like, I want to believe that there's something there. I don't think that there's top 10 pick potential there, but I want to believe that, he's the kind of guy that can, you know, with some of the the good that we've seen out of him, that that's something that can stick and that they could find value in a player like him and what he has to offer. But again, it's early. I want to make that clear. And I'm not trying to be, you know, hot takey reactionary or anything like that. But like the question for me is like, where does this guy even fit among the forward group, both this season and moving forward? Because for one, I don't think that if he's going to find a, a a place on this team and a place where he's going to be able to produce, it's going to be at center. I think it has to be on the wing. I wouldn't be opposed to, I think they were running him with cousins on the wing. Uh, well, he was, but they, they even were playing him with center and putting cousins on the wing, which again, I, I don't think makes sense. I think that middle step belongs on the wing. Um, but it's like, what is going to happen when Riley Sheehan is ready to come back? Because, they don't want to play Gergensen's at center and Sheehan makes sense to fill that role. And I think as we've seen through these first two games, it was obviously great that Olofsson had a couple of empty netters there, but Asplund and him need to be attached at the hip with each other at even strength, because I I think for one, we don't necessarily see a long-term future for a guy like Olofsson on this team and I think if you're going to maximize the value out of him that you could potentially get in a trade, it's going to be with him playing with Asplund because far and away, that's where he's had the most success on this team. And so back to Middlestat, then you're going to move Asplund up. Then maybe you put him at center, maybe you put him at wing, but that's a more importantly than that. It's a spot in the top nine that needs to be filled and asking you just like straight up right now, this season and beyond Taylor, would you have, would you rather have Rasmus Asplund in this top nine or would you rather have Casey Middlestat? Asplund. Exactly. And and so then on top of that, I think I would rather, I'm also more intrigued. Like, would you rather see Peyton Krebs at center or would you rather see Casey Middlestat at center? Krebs. R- right. And then, so 
then you're looking at your three, your top uh, three center spots being uh, Tage, Cousins, and Krebs down the middle. You move Asplund up because you need to have him with Olafson, and whether maybe you run like a, a Olafson, Krebs, and Asplund line, for example, like wh- where does Middlestat then fit in the mix? Because then what does that leave you with? Cousins in the middle of JJ and Quinn, which I also am not necessarily opposed to if they want to reunite the top line. So where does Casey Middlestat fit on this team? You know, and I think it it really, that also brings me back to what one of your predictions was. And that's why I wanted to kind of tie it in before I throw it back to you, which is we're going to see a trade at some point before the trade deadline, whether they're forced into it or rather they just feel like it's necessary and want to jump ship on somebody and two games, I know it's early, but it kind of feels like middle stats, that guy. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, it really is all about the offers you get. Is anyone else interested in middle stat? I think you could find someone that probably is. He's he a is a former, project. Yeah. Yeah. And like you, you can easily talk yourself into, oh, this guy's just had a tough go of it in his career and he really needs uh, an opportunity somewhere else. And maybe that's true. But yeah, like you said, they're just like there's not room for all these guys. There's you, you have too many of them. And yeah, maybe you think if middle stats too good of an asset to give up, maybe you do put someone on waivers, maybe like someone like Bjork or uh, maybe even Shan go on waivers instead. Who knows? But yeah, I think a trade yeah. might be in their best interest. And I'm, I'd be curious to see even if either of those guys would necessarily get claimed. I mean, maybe Bjork because of his age, but like, is somebody going to claim Riley Sheehan? I I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know what kind of team would be claiming Riley Shane. But again, though, that also just leads me to feeling like I don't want Asplund on the fourth line. Like, I just don't think that that's necessarily the kind of guy that he has to be. Like, he's a good defensive player. But again, like, let's let's see what he's got here. Like, he, he's shown that he can competently play in the top nine. He makes players on his line better, notably maybe your best pure shooter on the team makes him better and drastically, I think changes his on ice impacts too. So I, I don't know. It, it just kind of feels like middle stat. It's, I mean, we'll see what happens, you know, uh, of course things can change. Maybe he gets better as the year goes on. Absolutely. But early reactions though, that is going to be a, a pretty, Pretty big thing to keep an eye on among the forward group. And also while we're talking about it too, again, only two games and I am not at all doubting the fact that they'll be able to turn it around, but have not loved Tage and Skinner so far this year either. That's, that's big. A lot of expectations for Tage. I don't think he's lived up to him so far. It's two games, but we have to talk about something. Um, But before we get to anything else, let's hear a word from our sponsors, DraftKings. Hockey fans, it's finally time to hit the ice again. And thanks to DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you're in for the season of a lifetime. New customers can bet $5 on any team and get $200 in free bets if they win. So this is the part where I talk about a bet I like. You know what I, I would like probably coming up soon? The over on the Oilers game. Ooh. Just feeling okay. that. You know, maybe maybe their goaltending is not all it's cracked up to be. And maybe the Sabres goaltending isn't ready to travel yet. Who knows? <laughs> Just a feeling I have. If that's not enough excitement, you can turn to small bets in you can turn small bets into bigger payouts with same game parlays. Combine multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more for your shot and even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. 
So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. About $5 at any NHL team to win their game and get $200 in free bets if they do. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See our show notes for details and responsible gambling resources. So really early in the year, they're doing a West Coast swing. So while you listen to this, the Sabres are probably already out of town. They are going to Edmonton. Tuesday, Calgary Thursday, and Vancouver Saturday. Now, all those teams might be pretty good this year, so that's this is actually a tougher swing than it would be most years. Uh, but I, I'm interested in how they look. Like I said, I expect an exciting game against the Oilers, although the Sabres have been historically weirdly good at shutting down McDavid. I don't know why that is. And then the Flames, hey, they have a... I mean, they were the number one seed in the West last year. Well, were they better than Colorado? Well, either way, they won the Pacific. Last year, they have Huberto, they have Nazem Kadri, they have a good team. And then you have Vancouver, who is basically a playoff team after Boudreaux got in there, but yes. had too much of a deficit to make up. So, yeah, it should be an interesting swing this week. Uh, I don't remember them ever playing in the West Coast of Canada this early or the West Coast of the U.S., frankly. They're really early for a road trip like this, but it be interesting. So get ready to stay up late this week, Brendan. Are you going to stay up late? Sabres after dark. I'm ready for it. I'm ready I can't believe it. how early it is. You know, it's funny. The Sabres after dark thing always gets me because these trips are usually in January, I would say. It would be the classic time for a trip like this. Mm-hmm. It's like Sabres after dark. It's like, guys, it's dark at 4.30 p.m. Every Sabres game is after dark. Yep. That's actually a very good point. Sad but true. No, I'm going to definitely stay up for them. I mean, I also will say, too, I think it's good for them to have a trip like this this early in the year you know just to get the fellas I, bonding in the hotel get rooms the fellas bonding exactly i feel like every year they always talk about how good it is you know that they get to go out and you know go on this long trip together and uh and, and the bonding that takes place within that and so it's like good you got a, long, a lot of young guys on the team where this is going to be their first real taste of that and power um i don't know if krebs was around last year for it but paterka and quinn um, you know, it's newer for other guys, too. like Samuelson's another guy too, like all these young guys. And so I think just getting the group further acclimated with each other is, is absolutely a good thing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, plus I you wonder what they're, the <laughs> what's that? I said, plus you won't have to do it later in the year. Yeah, that's true. I wonder what the roommate situation is like. Mm. How to assume JJ and Quinn are together. Power, oh, yeah. and, power and Samuelson maybe, or would they keep like guys, you know, like, Hey, uh Samuelson be with Darlene maybe yeah maybe it could be that or maybe they do power in Darlene who knows yeah that's possible speaking of which too I will also say they tried it well they had to do it for a little bit um in uh in the Florida game but I am not opposed at all to power playing with Samuelson and in fact in I'm very much in favor of that as compared to him and Yoki Haru together yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Did Yoki Haru have to play? They have Lawrence Pilot. They should just call up Pilot. Yeah. Is, I mean, okay. Where would Pilot rank on this team among its best defensemen right now? Fourth? Uh, uh, I would put Darlene, Power, Samuelson, Lubchushkin all ahead of him, I guess. I don't know. He'd be in the range. Good enough to be in the, the third pairing. That's what I mean. Uh, let's just trade. Let's just solve our problems right now. 
trade Yoki Haru and metal stats somewhere for like, maybe it's another guy who needs a change of scenery. Maybe you do like a pick or something like that. I don't know what they would get in return for them, but I feel like for two younger guys who are both first round pick and picks and have okay draft pedigrees, I mean, Maybe you can convince somebody to overpay a little bit. I'm not saying you get anything crazy in return, but get rid of both of them. Call up Pilot. Move Asplin up in the top nine. Sheehan comes back, or you can put Bjork in, and then you can play Vinny as well. All your problems are solved on this roster right now. Oh, there we go. It just fixed not all of your problems, but like, boom. <laughs> yeah. All right. Sabres are fixed, folks. So You heard it here first. Tune in for a six-point West Coast swing this week. <laughs> well, we'll be back Thursday, actually. So we'll be back after the Edmonton game. Yeah. Looking yeah. forward to it very much. Anything else here uh, as we're wrapping up here, Taylor, before we, we sign off, anything else you're really looking forward to uh, or wanting to see out of this next trip? Just some wins at more Tate, a Tage goal. I would like to see a Tage goal. That's what mm. I'm actually looking for. Agreed. 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 All right. Well, do you have any recommendations for the people, Taylor? Uh, do I have any recommendations? That's a great question. Well, uh, hmm. I saw Halloween ends on Friday. I'm not ready to recommend it yet. I might see. I, well, I have to see it again, but, uh, what's something I could recommend to the people? How about, here's a fun one. One of the, uh, fun, better made horror slash slasher sequels. There is scream two, which I saw in theaters last Sunday for the 25th anniversary. The cast, man, you'd be surprised. Uh, a lot of famous people. They have the they have the whole conceit where there's a movie being made about the first movie in it. So you get some of that, like Tori Spelling. Uh, they mentioned David Schwimmer. I don't think they show him. Luke Wilson is in it. And oh, then wow. the actual functioning plot of the movie, it has some of the people they brought back from the first one. So you still get Nev Campbell. Uh, Lee Schreiber plays a much larger role. Uh, Jamie Kennedy is there. Uh, Courtney Cox and David Arquette. But also you have like Sarah Michelle Gellar. Portia de Rossi, Rebecca Gayhart, wow. Jerry O'Connell, Timothy Oliphant, Laurie Metcalf. Love, love Timothy Oliphant. Yeah, what a cast that is. I mean, yeah, Timothy Oliphant's probably the best part of the movie. Uh, so, yeah, I recommend that. Very cool. All right. I'm going to go with for mine. I'm going to do a song. Uh, I'm going to do the song I Ben by Ari Lennox. Anybody who's an R&B fan, she's a great 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 vocalist and really really shows it in this song very just like soulful passionate you can hear in her voice like a little bit of like grittiness and like grunginess in her voice when she she hits some of those high notes she's on j cole's record label dreamville so then she's actually been featured on a couple of uh of his songs as well but yeah great really really great song by her good little like mid-tempo jam so if you're looking for a good r&b song i Ben by ari lennox who is your random savers player of the episode sir Mm, I'm going to go with Eric Bergdorfer. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't think I even said his name right. Oh, God. I think everybody still knows who you're referring to. All right. I'm going to try and palate cleanse everybody with mine then. And I will go with Stu Barnes. Nice. 
Good All stuff. right, everyone. Good stuff. Well, thanks for tuning into this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast on social media and whatever streaming platform you're currently listening to right now to this episode on. Make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows. Make sure you're following us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And make sure you're using that promo code THPN at checkout with DraftKings. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Thursday. This has been Straight Up Sabres. What?